0: I'm joined today by Professor Ashlyn Lembry to discuss the case Edible Arrangements v. Edible Commerce Consulting, which our IP and Transaction Clinic was a part of. This is the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So Ashlyn, just to start off with, what does the IP and Transaction Clinic do?
1: So students who enroll in the IP and Transaction Clinic um, represent low income businesses usually, and individuals who have intellectual property type disputes and transactional matters, and I supervise all their work. These are real cases.
0: Today, we're going to talk about Edible Arrangements v. Edible Commerce Consulting. What was the basis of the case?
1: Edible Arrangements is a fairly large business based in Connecticut, and it has a international franchising operation for many um, sellers of fruit, dipped in chocolate type arrangements that can be eaten. Um, And this company... Which had been using the Marks edible arra- the Mark edible arrangement since about 1999, alleged that my client Edible Commerce Consulting created a likelihood of confusion with its trademark and diluted its allegedly famous trademark edible arrangements. So that's really the basis of the case.
0: How large of a company is Edible Commerce?
1: Edible Commerce Consulting is a very small New Hampshire limited liability company. Um, It just it has several people, um, that it relies on to do the work it does, which is to provide consulting to food businesses. It might help food businesses with packaging and shipping food products with regulatory issues and marketing those sorts of things. Um, but anyway, it's based in, uh, actually Concord, New Hampshire. And, uh, coincidentally, the wife of the founder of the company was one of my students. Oh, perfect. At the law school (laughs) and in the IP and Transaction Clinic. Overall, what is a trademark? Basically, a a trademark is a source identifier. It's something that someone would use, a company or business would use to signify that a certain good or a service uh, comes from some singular source. You don't have to exactly know what the source is, but it's a it's an indicator to the um, consumer. What started this case? I guess what started this case is that my client in 2015 uh, selected, it chose to adopt a trademark for its business, um, which is, It adopted Edible Commerce Consulting, thinking that Edible had no intention to trade, you know, to ride the coattails of Edible Arrangement. Merely, my client chose Edible Commerce Consulting, thinking he he wants to represent uh, businesses because it's a B two B kind of consulting business who have edible products that they sell. So he's just sort of trying to describe um, or bring to mind to his consumers the nature of what he does. Um, so so he picked the word edible because. His clients are in the food business. Um, And that certainly got on the radar of edible arrangements, which is a pretty aggressive enforcer of its trademarks, meaning it will oppose, send cease and desist letters and sue um, anyone else adopting other marks um, that include the word edible or incredible or something really similar. My client applied for the trademark edible commerce consulting in the process. Process in front of the Patent and Trademark Office. When you apply to register a trademark, there are a few stages you go through before you get a trademark registration. The first stage is called examination. And so my client had a Patent and Trademark Office examiner who looked at um, my client's application and decided it was perfect, it was good to go through. One of the things the examiner does look at is whether there's some other prior mark that causes a likelihood of confusion, but it would appear that this examiner did not cite that. That is not uncommon. Um, And so then the examiner uh, passes the application to the next phase, which is called opposition. So that is a one month period when any third party can oppose a mark that is on, you know, otherwise on the highway to registration. And so that's where Edible Arrangements first came in against my client and that would be, that's called a notice of opposition. So they filed the notice of opposition during that 30 day period. And they alleged that they had prior rights in the Mark edible Edible Arrangements, and actually they cited 15 different marks, that they had priority in that my client's adoption of Edible Commerce Consulting for his business services, his consulting services, caused a likelihood of confusion. They also alleged that uh, my client's adoption of Edible Commerce Consulting would dilute its famous mark, meaning it would... Uh, eventually whittle away at its the fame of edible arrangements. So um, that's the first part. Mm. Uh, later on, um, they did send a cease and desist letter against our client, uh, really in-house counsel pretty much. Well, we were in the middle of settlement negotiations later in the process. And so during one of those uh, telephone conferences that I was having with opposing counsel, I uh, she she said, Hey, um, by the way, I noticed we didn't send you a cease and desist letter yet. You'll be getting one of those really soon. And Just so, FYI. We're so, gonna send you legal documents.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> so she said,
1: you know, we you know how it is. We need to cross our T's and dot our I's and I said, Yeah, I get it. So she sent us a cease and desist letter, and we of course responded to that, but that was all simultaneous with this thing going on. So it's funny how it's not linear really
0: (laughs) there's a parallel instances of things going on
1: there is another parallel to this which comes later but um they did um file a complaint in a connecticut federal district court as well so not only did we have um the trademark trial and appeal board opposition proceeding pending but um they, they filed a lawsuit against my client in Connecticut, um, which I could certainly talk about on issues with that. So
0: what's so, the next step after that? Yeah.
1: So, so actually I'm going to go back to the trademark trial and appeal mm-hmm. board opposition. Cause yeah. that was really where all the action was. We had to file an answer. One of the things you have to do when you file an answer, which is due about 40 days after you get the complaint um, is um, plead all mandatory counterclaims. If you fail to plead uh, a mandatory counterclaim, then then you waive the ability to plead it later. The way you determine if there's a mandatory counterclaim that it's mandatory, that you have to bring it, is you look at the edible arrangements complaint, right? So if edible arrangements says, we have Mark. Edible Arrangements, let's just say. We have a registered trademark called Edible Arrangements. And this is the registration number with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And we're using this as a prima, prima facie um, showing that we have a valid trademark right and that we can come after you based on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they cite that registration it's a foundational part of their complaint. So if we challenge that foundation, um, and we are aware of it at the time of the filing of the answer, which of course we are, because they put it in their complaint, any challenge against it has to be raised in our counterclaim. A counterclaim has a price tag. This is a crucial thing.
0: Yeah, this stuff all costs money. All these steps with the right. TTAV. it's
1: yeah. So my client was getting free. Legal time, but he had to pay for uh, filing fees. At the time, to file a counterclaim was $300 per mark per class. Um, edible Arrangements pled 15 marks, and many of them had seven. Classes, In other words, it would have been tens of thousands of dollars had we pled, you know, challenged every possible mark. And, um, no, I'm sure that was a strategic move mm. on the part of edible arrangements. So we had to pick and choose. So, um, so we targeted a registration that edible arrangements had for just the word edible, um, So, they had this registration in many classes, and we just challenged one class that would most directly impact us, and most go to their gut, you know, <laughs> most, there was a most direct challenge to them that would make sure we had leverage over them if we needed to negotiate a settlement. So um, we challenged the regist- their registered trademark edible on the grounds that it was descriptive and they should not have any exclusive rights over it, that it should be free to be used. Um, yes, that's,
0: that's kind of an interesting angle on with, with this case is it's edible. It's anything with food, you could use that as a marketing term or the name of your company, which Edible Commerce
1: did. Right. Which is, that was our our theory of the case. Yeah. I can tell you that Edible Arrangements take <laughs> um, uh, was different. Yeah, was they, slightly different, I bet. <laughs> they, they claimed that, you know, if you do a thorough study and we've had, um, you know, experts testifying in court on this, that Edible is only used for our company. It's the reason it's why actually, they
0: have all these trademarks. Mm, yes,
1: yes. So, so... Basically, there was a time there's a time bar to allege that registration should be canceled based on its merely descriptiveness. If you're in the Trademark Child and Appeal Board and you have five years from the date of registration. In other words, our bait, date to beat, excuse me, was April 13, 2018. And so we were still within that five-year window, and it was still a somewhat vulnerable registration. So we were still allowed to plead that it was descriptive. And we knew that that window at the time was closing. There was only like two years left or something on the five-year window. And at the time, there were only two challengers to the edible registration, us and 1-800-Flowers. So there was this giant, like very involved federal district court case going on simultaneously with our case um, involving 1-800-Flowers. During the course of our case, that case settled. So it didn't Help us! We were yeah. kind of hoping one eight hundred flowers might let, the, um, let take another them out. big
0: corporation take care of
1: it. <laughs> right, right, right. It didn't work out. So, so for that, so we had to do it on our own. After a while, we were the only the only people standing uh, between you know the edible uh, between them and getting to that five year date. And what edible had to do is by April 13, 2018, make sure there were no pending challenges to its mark edible and its exclusive rights to use. And it had to make sure, um, you know, that it kept the registration alive until that date. It just had to meet that line. And then it would um, be able to make a filing, which it has now done because the date is passed now, to be incontestable. So not only would certain claims be prohibited in the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, but they would suddenly have a pretty strong defense if a counterclaim was raised, if they brought that registration as a plaintiff in a federal district court, which I know that sounds kind of uh, like confusing. But <laughs> but anyway, so we, we knew we had some leverage with that counterclaim. So we invested in a counterclaim on that and another mark when we, you know, looked at the budget and where we could best spend time. So basically, we filed our answer and we were, you know, litigating. And then, um, interestingly, they, you know, reached out. It's not atypical, actually. Um, Edible Arrangements reached out and said, hey, do you want to settle this? So we decided to have discussions with them about settlement after Why
0: would they want to settle? Would it be to wrap it up so that with that way they definitely have that buffer space before that drop dead date.
1: Well, a few things. Yeah. Okay, so one reason they'd want to settle is they wouldn't want to lose. Yeah. Okay. So, so
0: there's that risk if it. it goes to hearings. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, and that's on if they lost the edible registration. You know that wouldn't. They, they would lose their, what they, we call prosecution history, all the history behind that mark. Cause they, they probably, you know, are just waiting, you know, they're just trying, they need the calendar to take away. And if they have to start from ground zero, then, you know, that's, that's not fun for them. Um, and the other reason is they alleged, uh, dilution, which requires that they assert that their mark is famous, um. Fame is a very difficult uh, threshold to achieve in the U.S. Case of fame, you you have to be general household name famous. So Coca-Cola, General Motors, Edible Arrangements was not a certain candidate in that field, uh, just because it's such a high standard here. Um, If they lost on a famousness determination in front of the TTAB, um, then that would be used against them in all other litigation. Forever. <laughs> yeah. So, so with it being an unknown, whether they're famous or not, they're able to just Best assert not it. To test it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And so, um, the other reason they wanted to settle is frankly, because I was free. So because I was providing free legal services, um, uh, it, it's just, and, and it's become cliche. I hear this from opposing counsel all the time. You know, we need a level playing field. You're not, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. We have to pay our lawyers. You know, your guy doesn't. They're not as vested in this, da-da-da. It's, it, I hear it all the time.
0: Did you guys just go like, this is great? Or was this kind of something where you really had to think about to go with the settlement?
1: Oh, okay. They didn't just you know, sure. They offered us a settlement and we could have, you know, said yes or no, but that's not really how these things normally proceed. Um, and I, I, I work a different, a few different models with my clients. Um, in this particular instance, my client being a businessman was very comfortable with negotiating directly with edible arrangements. So you can make that choice, like whether you, um, negotiate between the lawyers. And I've done that many times on, and uh, um, settling a case, or you push it to the two business people with the consent of the two lawyers. What is Typically done with that is the lawyers prep their clients, of course, before each session, and there will be multiple negotiating sessions. I can't recall how many um, my client held with the, actually the president of Edible Arrangements was the one speaking directly with him by text message and um, one of the hot topics was whether and how the word edible could be used. Mm. So for that's just one instance, but there were quite a few that came up. So we were prepping our client, and along the way, we had a few breaks on the businessman-to-businessman negotiations, and we go back to the lawyer-to-lawyer negotiations. And at that point, um, in-house counsel, outside counsel also um, would be on our calls. So it was literally two law firms and uh, Edible Arrangements General Counsel all on these calls. And um, and eventually we achieved a settlement.
0: What does a settlement and an arrangement work out for something like this? I mean, Edible Arrangements still exists. Edible Commerce still exists, I'm assuming. No? So how did that work out for Edible Commerce?
1: So um, so first let me tell you about the very exciting last day of the settlement negotiations. Yeah. They were quite exciting. So remember how I said it's rather cliche how opposing counsel says to me things like, we need a level playing field, it's really not fair, la la la. So it is very common for opposing counsel to want to sue my clients in federal district court. In, in And I quote uh, an opposing counsel, not from this case, but from a case I'm currently working on, Wherever we sue, it will be nowhere you can go, Ashlyn. <laughs> you know, it will be in some state you're not licensed to practice law and, and you can't make an appearance on behalf oh, wow. of your client. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I,
0: that just is like the the big the big shark corporation versus the little guy. Perfect example of it. <laughs>
1: right, right. So, so, um, and the reason they do that is because if they file a lawsuit in federal district court, um, <clears throat> the trademark trial and appeal board proceeding will in all probability be suspended. And, man, we just, and then, The TTAB case, which I can be free legal counsel for, just is mothballed until the federal district court case where my client might be pro se or something, right? When that decision comes out, that's sent over to the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, and they may just take whatever happened over there, right? So anyway, so in this case, opposing counsel did, in fact, sue my client or file a lawsuit in federal district court. We... We're unsure what federal district court they would use. Uh, We knew our client was not um, engaged in any business activities in Connecticut, but we knew that would be their jurisdiction of preference. As it turns out, they did file against him in Connecticut. Under the Connecticut local rules, they have 120 days to actually serve my client with the complaint. So they tell my client, well, through me, they tell (laughs) me, they say, hey, we just, just letting you know, we filed a complaint against your, uh, you know, in Connecticut Um, and here's a copy of it, but we're not officially serving you. We're going to like, just let it sit there yeah. and we might serve him if we can't reach a settlement, <sighs> right? Shady. <laughs> so, tip, normal. Normal. Yeah, there's normal, a reason. Normal shady. <laughs> there's a reason that yeah. process that, cause parties will settle in that yeah. time period. So what they have to do to serve my client is hire a process server. You know, we're we're down to most of the settlement agreement is negotiated, except a few, like a couple terms. And so so my client comes to my office and he's literally in the sanctity of the IP and transaction clinic, of our (laughs) clinic space, which has locked doors, right, on the last day. And then he gets a call from the process server who's trying to serve him at his place of business. And the process server says, hey, I'm trying to serve you with a complaint, where are you? And he said, well, I'm actually at the law school. And so we call, so we, we call opposing counsel and we say, Hey, your process server is trying to serve my guy. Just letting you know, my guy is at my office. Right. (laughs) And we had a number, we had a lot of discussions, Mm -hmm. um, which interestingly was going on while I was trying to have class, Of Uh, course, (laughs) but luckily we just made class about this very exciting Mm -hmm. transaction. We ended up basically on the as the time as the, each minute ticked away we were back and forth and back and forth between client and opposing counsel and we entered into a settlement your question is what was the settlement right so i can't say every term because certain parts of the co- settlement agreement are confidential and this is not the most typical type of settlement agreement we had been studying edible arrangements. We knew, you You can go to the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board website and you can see all their history. You can see every other mark they opposed. We knew we were going to be opposed. It was no secret. It was, and you can kind of deduce from the public records who settled and who didn't, who canceled their mark and who didn't. Uh, that it was pretty clear there was a wasteland. We knew that edible arrangements would only take, you know, the white flag as it, my client changing his mark as as the only thing it would accept. It's, right. It was just going to take of a
0: small company in New Hampshire to completely destroy their trademark situation for an international co- corporation.
1: Right, unless we litigated, right. which was still we were uh, you know ready to do. But my client did agree to change his name. He is now Taste Profit. <laughs> so instead of edible, it's, he yeah. used taste and, and it's a double entendre, right? Yeah. With taste, you taste your profits. So he's actually really happy with his name. And he's not my first client who, when they had a trademark dispute, uh, they ended up changing their name because they started thinking more deeply and they actually like their uh, successor, trademark. Um, I had another case I actually won and I got a coexistence agreement. Like she was all set to use her trademark. But she's like, you know, through this whole process, I realized I didn't like that trademark. Anyway, (laughs) and she changed her mark. But how
0: do you feel about it after all the work it's what I have to my mind?
1: You know, I just I just want them to be happy. Right. So it's fine. We work out a deal, it involves a few different transactions. So not only do we need to ink the settlement agreement, They they called off the process server. The Connecticut lawsuit never commenced because the um, service on the defendant didn't occur within a timely fashion. So that ended. My client had some other valuable assets that we were able to offer. And um, and so that included my client's domain name. So later on, um, my students were able to draft domain name transfer agreement because you have to do that. We had to manage like there's actually an inordinate amount of focus on email um and making sure there was an alias alive so that my clients prior, you know, clients you who don't want to lose business. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they knew how to find them. Also The trademark registration issued, um, we assigned it to Edible Arrangements, so they now have yet another (laughs) uh, trademark registration that we did all the labor for. So um, after... Actually, in preparation for this podcast, mm-hmm. I was just a little curious um, whether edible that remember that registration that had to had that date to be yeah. of April 13, 2018. Yeah. So I went and checked it out and I also checked out any other oppositions that edible arrangements had against other people and whether anyone like counterclaimed against them. There were a few. It turns out with this whole marijuana um, legalization move, <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of oh. trademark applications for at ad- edibles, yeah. okay? <laughs> yes. And, and 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 that actually is something that does, I mean, I actually f- spent hours talking to council for edible arrangements. That is something somewhat concerning for them. That's worse because- That's going to be a
0: long-term problem. Mm, I mean, the laws are going to change considerably mm, over the next decade.
1: Yeah. Looked like, you know, my gut feel on about three new applicants and uh, oppositions that happened is it looks like there were at least three edibles uh, registrants that edible arrangements went after. It also looked like FTD. Um, remember how 1-800-Flowers was yeah. a big opponent? FTD, it looks like they challenged um, edible arrangements for its uh, ownership of edible as well. And then there were a few other marks that were not marijuana-based and not <laughs> flower delivery-based. All of those cases, 100 percent were case dismissed, which tells me edible Arrangements worked out a settlement. And sure enough, after April 13, 2018, if they had all challenges off the board, and if they um, still had a registration in force, They could file for incontestability of the edible registration, and they did. They got it. They did it. (laughs) And it was accepted in October um, this year, and so they have an incontestable registration for edible for everything from fresh fruit cut into arrangements and fresh fruit and uh, consulting services and running a franchise business and all of that. So that's... That's the last piece I had
0: to add. Thanks for listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.